So how long ago were you in your W-2? I quit last November. So what, like four or five months? In four months, you took down $50 million of cash flow businesses with zero money out of your own pocket. Correct. Welcome to the Action Academy Podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. Guys, today may be one of my favorite episodes on this podcast. This may be one of the favorite episodes that I've ever recorded. And the irony of it is me and the guest did not talk prior. We didn't know each other prior. Normally, I know most of the guests. I have an idea of where we're taking the conversation. In this episode, I purposely met this guy at a mastermind event, got introduced by another guy that said, hey, you need to have him on the podcast. Don't ask questions. Just press record and go. So the guest started to try to introduce himself to me. And I said, no, let's save it all for the podcast. So I had no idea about anything that he did. And we pressed record. And holy crap. Today is a podcast episode that you do not want to miss. Normally, I'll walk you guys step-by-step step through each part of the interview, but I'm not even going to do that today. Today, you're just going to sit and listen to the entire interview because it is with none other than my new buddy, Renan Cortez. The only cliff note that I'm going to give you guys, the only cliff note, which will make this entire episode worth listening to, he has bought $50 million of cash-flowing businesses in the last six months 0% down of his own money, 100% seller finance. I'm going to just shut up and let this guy loose. So listen through to Renan's story. The first half of his backstory is insane. The second half is all seller financing. We get into the details. We get into the dollars. It's fantastic. If you find value in today's show, please send this episode to as many friends as you possibly can. Share it on your social media. Send it to friends via text message and email. Let people know about this show. Let people know about Renan. If you finish today's episode and you're obsessed with Renan, which I know you will be, and you're obsessed with how he views buying and selling cash flow businesses, seller finance negotiations, terms, financing, loans, all this stuff. If you want to learn more about that, not only is he coming on the podcast, but he is coming to teach in our Action Academy community next Monday. So you guys are listening to this on a Tuesday. It's going to be the next following Monday. What I will do is open up the call for 20 people, 20 spots for you guys to spectate on the Action Academy community call. This will be Renan going way more in depth, bringing out spreadsheets, bringing out trackers, really teaching the process of acquiring small cash flowing businesses. If you are interested and you want to be one of these 20 spots, go in the show description and click the link. You'll see a link to book for Renan's call. If you are past the first 20, I'm not going to let you in. So for any of my podcasting peeps that listen early in the morning, I highly recommend you signing up because by noon today, this is probably going to be done. So without any further ado, Renan Cortez. Renan Cortez, welcome, my brother. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, man. <laughs> man, let's give a quick little shout out to Diego and the squad. You just got back from Puerto Rico. Talk a little bit about that experience. Oh, it was fantastic. He ran a wonderful mastermind out there. He invited me to come to talk on my background, my story, <clears throat> what I'm doing these days. 
And I, I think it, it resonated with some people out there. Yeah, it was good. It was a good time. Good, man. Yeah, shout out Diego Corzo. If any of you guys don't follow him, I'll give Diego a little shout out. Go give him a follow. Renan here is also an awesome guy, man. You are doing massive things. You're making massive waves. Diego literally came and grabbed me in Tahoe for people listening. And he said, dude, I just met Renan and Renan is doing insane things. He's taken down these businesses. He's an expert in mergers and acquisitions. You got to have him on the podcast. And I said, you know what, man? Diego's the type of guy where if he just tells me something, I'm like, oh, let's go with it. So you yeah. and I have no plan. We're just winging it and it's going to be magical. So I'm excited, <laughs> man. Let's start with your story. Walk us through your journey. Yeah, man. I was born and raised in, in the Bronx in New York, raised in Queens and wasn't a good kid. One of those guys. Got um, that twinkle in your eye. Yeah, yeah. Flirt, flirted with some disaster when I was 16. My uncle was a NYPD, had to scare me straight at one point, but I escaped. I left. I joined the army, right? So I joined the army as a combat medic and I was an infantry medic and really never thought much of six figure anything. I just, I was just like what they call it, it's a grunt, but it was through the army that I actually met some really powerful mentors that made me believe I could do anything I wanted. That was a powerful experience for me. I was in my early twenties. And they convinced me, they said, look, you can do anything you want. So I challenged them. I'm like, so I could be a doctor if I want. They're like, anything you want. As long as you put forth the effort, take action, you can do anything you want. So I went and I signed up for school and I got my undergrad and actually got my pre-med degree. After years and years, but I, that, that first guy, Sergeant First Class, John Feltis, he really set, he set the standard for me and believing in me and making me take that extra step and believe in myself. Because like I said, where I grew up, we don't really believe in ourselves. We just go with whatever's around us and the hustle. And so I used my GI Bill. I got my undergrad at University of Maryland. I ended up at Walter Reed Army Medical Center down there. So after 12 years in the Army, I get out and I actually did not go to a medical school because I was tired of school. Um, and one of the doctors I worked with, actually, he convinced me to go be a rep. And me, I was anti-rep. I was in the cardiology space. We had a lot mm -hmm. of reps and vendors coming in. They said it's a good quality of living. Some of these reps make more money than doctors do per case. Mm -hmm. that, that is the truth. Some of these guys back in the day, early 2000s, were making like 700000 750 a million dollars to sell pacemakers. They still are. I never got that, right? But it was still pretty damn good by the time I got in. So that led me into my first corporate gig where I worked for Medtronic. And Medtronic is the number one medical device company in the world. I had seven years with them, learned a ton of great stuff. And that's where I got some other mentors, people that took the took me as a rough, because I was coming out of the military still. So I was still very rough around the edges. They put mm -hmm. some polish because I was in DC. There were a lot of former military guys around me. So they all were like, all right, no more of this. It's going to be emails from now on. No more wall-to-wall -wall counseling. This isn't the army anymore, right? So I had to learn how to do emails and just polish up, speak properly and all that stuff. I am, <laughs> if you would have met me when I was 20, you'd be like, I'm not putting you on this podcast. <laughs> very fair. Because that kid was very confused. And that's what I'm saying. So fast forward now. So I'm 12 years army and then I do 15 years corporate America. And now I'm trying to, I got to those places because of the mentorship and development that was given to me throughout the entire way. So now I had a very successful corporate career. I won President's Club. They take you to Cabo, give you a $6,000 watch, all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. It didn't feel, it didn't fulfill my heart, my passion, my why. I was making good money and I, I, I still wasn't that happy. I took my health. I was a good army shape and then I got up to 300 pounds, man. W2 wow. world was killing me, like legit, because they gave me an American Express card and my job is to wine and dine and close the sale. I gave Drinking every night with surgeons. That's it. That's exactly right. And me, I go to a steakhouse. I'm not ordering the chopped salad. 
I'm getting a steak mm-hmm. and the creme brulee at the end. But still, it wasn't the life I wanted to live. And the mission wasn't there. The personal why wasn't there. So I get up to the point of, shit, it's my early 40s now. And my heritage, I'm half Filipino, half Puerto Rican. Hurricane Maria had just hit. Island of Puerto Rico was just all kinds of jacked up. And I was making okay money. So I figured I'll go there and invest in something. Real estate, maybe a business. So I'll put some money into the economy. And I got this idea to start a cannabis business, right? It was the wild west of cannabis out there. I put together a really good plan. I'm thinking, oh, I'm Mr. Corporate America. I know how to do this. And I remember talking to investors and they were like, all right, Renan, what's the NPV? What's the IRR? The multiple, sir, I do not know what you're talking about. <laughs> you got about. me. All I know is we're going to grow weed and sell it for a profit. And it's going to make millions of dollars. And it was a really good business plan, but I didn't know the entrepreneurship aspect. I Because... Being corporate, I knew the mature aspect, negotiations, sales, contracts, all that stuff. Um, so I was like, all right, not a problem. Roger that. I'll figure it out. So I used my GI Bill again to finish up and get my MBA degree. So I got my MBA at University of Maryland, about 44, age 43, 44, 45, around that time. And it was during that time, day one, talking about the time value of money. What is NPV, net present value? And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. But anyway... Two years, I polish up my business plan. I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this again because you have to keep going. You can't just have, that's the whole thing about it. if you do the enough right things consistently, things are going to happen. The things Correct. that you want are going to happen are going to happen. So I was going at it and I put a really good business plan together. I had all my ducks in order. And one of my professors suggested I speak to Cody Sanchez. Cody Sanchez. I do know Cody Sanchez. She's a big social media, but she's Goldman Sachs. She's a powerhouse herself. and. This guy doesn't know who she who she was. I was like, who's Cody Sanchez and what did she do? And she's like, she has a cannabis fund. She's a big persona. You want to hook up with her and see if she'll invest. So I hook up with her on LinkedIn. She accepts the invite. And I see that three days later, she's hosting. She had just moved from California to Austin. And she was doing a happy hour for the local business people. So I'm like, all right, I know where she's going to be. And I know what time. So I, like I said, this was a Wednesday. And she was holding a happy hour on a Friday. I flew down. Like in, two days later from New Jersey to go meet her, wrote her an email. I show up and Cody's, you're that crazy son of a bitch that flew from New Jersey for a happy hour. So I thought that was pretty cool that she even recognized. And so we sat down, we had time. We talked about the, the cannabis business. She said it was a little bit small of an operation, something that she likes to invest bigger. No problem. But she said, just sit back. Look at what we have going on around here and listen in. So everybody's talking about generational wealth and all this other stuff and buying businesses. And me, I'm like... I want to do cannabis, right? So anyway, mm-hmm. I fly home. Now I'm on her newsletter and I'm seeing that two or three months later in November, 2021, she's doing an official like mastermind course over two or three days in Austin, Texas. And so I'm like, all right, I know where there's going to be more high net worth individuals, all the speakers that she had lined up. I said, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to, I'm going to pitch again. So I sign up for the event. I show up. I'm speaking to people. Everybody's there to learn about buying businesses. I'm like, I'm here to try to raise money. So I hear all these speakers speak. They're talking about how they achieve their generational wealth or their financial freedom by acquisition, cash flow. And I remember two gentlemen in particular, I went and it really resonated with me because the guy up there, he was saying that if you're going to buy a business, even if you have the money, what you want to do is you want to raise some capital, leverage the rest of a bank. And that's it. He was pretty confident. He goes, I have, you want to buy a $10 million business? I, he's like, I have 10 million. I would never put all 10 million down on the business. So he comes off stage and I speak to him. I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm doing this cannabis play. He goes, why cannabis? And why a startup? 
I said, this is a means to an end. I'm trying to build a foundation for profession uh, to develop and mentor others that don't have the resources to do it. Cause I'm thinking of how I could have benefited from that when I was 20 or in my twenties. Mm. Right. And so he goes, so basically it's a means to an end. He goes, yeah. So he's like, why don't you just buy a cash flowing business? Your chances of success are that much greater. You can get into it. You just leverage everything. And the way he said it was just like, so, uh, it just made me do, yeah. So matter of fact. And so I said, all right, Mr. David Osborne, I'll do that. Ah, it was David. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, of course all right. it was then, David. Then the guy standing next to him was Rock Thomas, who had actually just spoke. And so both of them, they were about to go play golf, and they were like, good luck with your cannabis thing. I'm like, all right, thank you. And I spoke to a couple other people. But that whole meeting actually got me to throw away my business philosophy of what I wanted to do, and I switched it into buying a business. And if I'm going to do that, I'm going to do it at the highest level. So I enrolled in Columbia Business School for private equity venture capital. And I just learned from the best of the best out there, from real private equity people that were in my class, from the professors. And so it was a year of just grinding it out and reading all the books. And because I knew nothing about private equity before this, I started out looking at a dry cleaning operation, $700,000 dry cleaning operation. I was going to put 70000 down, leverage the rest of the SBA, like the traditional way. And it was just a pain, man. I have a VA loan for my house and I thought that was difficult to get. Just from all sure. the paperwork and everything, SBA is a whole other animal, man. Oh, yeah, man. It's the application process. It takes six to nine months to just be able everything. to get. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly, yeah. That's exactly the yeah. timeline. I was like eight, nine, ten months into it. It kept getting delayed, getting delayed. So in the, Especially in the, with COVID. Oh, bro. Yeah. And uh, in the meantime, I still was looking at off-market deals. I hired somebody to find off-market deals for me. So they found this one business. It's a water restoration company. And it was an $8 million. It was on the market for $8 million. I was like, I don't have, I barely have enough for a dry cleaner. How am I going to buy this? But I wanted to see what an $8 million business looks like. So I did the diligence and it's a strong model. It's 40% profit margins. This thing brings in 6 million annual revs and it nets 2 million cash. And it was very unorganized. It was, it could have used a lot of corporate polish, but they did, they were so successful in what they did. It didn't matter. They was like, they were successful in spite of all that. And in my mind, I was like, I need to take this down. You got to figure it out. So I figured out a way to negotiate it for 100% seller financing. And I did. I bought it with no money down, uh, no bank loan, no nothing. I just went and used my words and bought this asset. And then I did it again. And then I did it again. So I'm building a portfolio. And that's when they clicked. I could build a fund around this. If I had, you know, like what David Osborne said just a year ago, I raise a fund, put it in, buy an asset. And dude, my... This, the financial modeling that I'm doing, it shows like 30 to 35% IR with four to eight X multiple of returned investment of invested capital. Ooh. And I showed that to everybody just to kind of, cause now I have access to all these private equity guys. I'm like, take a look at this. Am I crazy? They're like, no, th those are the numbers. And then I showed it to the professor. I showed it to everybody. They're like, those, those are the numbers. And uh, that's where it started. End, yeah. So now I'm like, what do I do now? So it was through the Cody Sanchez mastermind where I did this. And so now people are hitting me up through Zoom. Hey, Renan, how did you buy this business? No money down. And how did you do it again? So I'm meeting all these people. So I meet Ben Anderson. I meet Phil Caprone. I'm meeting all these GoBundance guys that are part oh, of the I other know, mastermind. I know them too. Yeah. And they're like, hey, Renan. Good buddies with Phil. Yeah. So they're like, you need to join GoBundance. Once again, what the hell is that? I don't know what that is. So this is November of last year, just recently. They're like, you have to join GoBundance. I'm like, what is that? 
And so they, they took some time. They explained it to me. I got in touch with John Edwin, who was the local Philly. Another good buddy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's my boy, man. He's a really good guy. So I spoke to him and I was very honest. I was like, look, man, I, yeah, I was corporate. I did well in corporate. I don't know if I meet the minimum requirements. And they were like, wait a minute, didn't you just buy an $8 million business that cash flows? I was like, yeah. They're like, you make the cut. You qualify. Yeah. <laughs> so I did my personal finance statement for the first time in my life, really. And yeah, it was powerful to see how everything shakes out. I was like, wow, okay. And th- it gets even let's weird. Take, here, let's take, a, let's take a pause there real quick. Yeah, I'll let you breathe real quick because there's so many points to this story. So there's so many directions we can take this. So yeah. first off, we'll dive into the nuts and bolts of the seller finance and how you're looking at these and how you're underwriting them and everything because that's sensational. But what I'm hearing from your story that's really powerful for people that are in their beginning stages right now, that are in that W-2, maybe they're in the military, they're looking to get out, they're looking to do better, be better. What you did over and over again over a period of decades that you just demonstrated was you leaned into mentors, you leaned into coaches, you leaned into masterminds. In each one of these masterminds, in each one of these places, you found like a nugget or one singular idea, one singular relationship, and then you just took action off of that one singular thing. You weren't looking for 30 things. You were just looking for one thing. And then you would go and then you'd keep going and going. And another thing that I like about you is your willingness to pivot. It's not, it wasn't ever considered a failure for you. You just changed your mind when presented with new information. And a lot of people will listen to the show and they'll say, I want to do Airbnb. And they'll be so like in on Airbnb until they realize they're like, oh, okay, I didn't really like that thing. And then they go to the next thing and the next thing and they have shiny object syndrome. But what I'm here to tell people is exactly what you did is the right way. People think that you need to commit to one thing and one thing alone. But I think the best way is to do it like the buffet style like you did to where you try a little bit of this. You try the chicken. You try the fried rice. You try the Chick-fil-A. You try the barbecue. And you're like, God dang, I like barbecue. I want to do barbecue. And that's what you did. You have to realize the underlying thing, though. You have to figure out your why, right? Mm -hmm. You figure out the why, the mission. It doesn't matter how you get there. So using your buffet analogy, the goal is to get full. Whatever it is, boy's hungry. hungry. (laughs) <laughs> so you're going to find the one thing that makes you full and you're going to enjoy it the entire time. What so, was your why? What was your why before we dive into the seller financing? So it's funny because like I said, when I won President's Club with my core, I was with Abbott at the time, the number two medical device company. I'm sitting out there in Cabo. Everybody's like enjoying time of their life. I felt nothing. I actually wow. hated that, that one. It was very weird. And when I got back, I listened to a podcast and they had Tyson Fury, a heavyweight world champ boxer. And he spoke about how when he won the heavyweight championship, like the week or two after, he got into depressed a and he wanted to drive it into a wall and he was going to kill himself because he felt like he had no purpose. And he literally said that there was an angel on his shoulder that said, stop. So he actually did not run into a, a wall. And I found that power. I was like, that felt, I didn't get that far deep into depression, but it felt almost the same. I was like, I don't have this mission. And the first thing that made me feel happy again is when I flew to Puerto Rico to see if I could help. And then I was like, I could actually figure out a way to, to give back to the community in a big way. Mentorship development, teach other people how to buy businesses or just to get out of whatever rut that they're in. And I just needed to figure out a vehicle to make money to do that because that's going to cost money. So it's, I don't have a number that I'm trying to attain. I'm, there's goals that I'm trying to attain. One of them 
I'm trying to name a pediatric wing after my mom. She passed. It's going to be a year on Sunday. So I want to name, she was a pediatric ICU nurse her whole life. I want to name something after her, a pediatric nurse, because that's only fitting. So that's going to cost money. Not sure what, but I'm going to make enough to make that happen. I want to get a, just people separating from the military, from the military. If they want a position in one of my portfolio companies, I don't want to just hire them, put them in a management position and say, good luck. Don't F this up. I want to put PTSD people around them, psychological help, professional mentorship, how to transition into the civilian world, right? Women entrepreneurs. I have four daughters entering the workforce. In my 15 years of corporate, I saw a lot of crazy things happen where women in, in business, they were overlooked, which is, it just wasn't the nicest environment. So I'm trying to change that, whatever I can do to change that. And then minorities and any underserved population that they do not have resources. Just anybody and from all walks of life. Just anybody who doesn't have the resources because not everybody should have to go get their MBA, enroll in Columbia and do all this stuff. Like I said, I'm 47. I want to get to people when they're in their 20s, teens or whatever, just be have a mentorship development center. And that's going to cost money. Not sure how much, but I'll figure it out. And so that's what this whole mission is for. You made it bigger than you. Oh, yeah. Because what... So it's funny that you say that because I had the same thing happen to me. And this is something that people don't really talk about on podcasts too much is what happens on the other side of getting everything you ever wanted, right? So we talked about climbing these mountains and these big old mountains and you're climbing. Maybe you spend years, decades doing it. It's your entire identity is the climb. And then you make it to the mountaintop and you realize you're the smallest mountain on the And it's just, that's how it was for President's Club for me too. So I hit, when COVID dropped, I got everything I ever wanted. I had been working for four years Blood, sweat, and you know how difficult it is to hit President's Club. You give everything to hit President's Club. You're working probably 60, 70 hours a week, prospecting, door knocking, doing everything that you can, and then you finally hit. And for me, yeah, I was I made it to the top. I was literally like sales rep of the year. CEO was announcing me, rookie of the year. They're like, this guy's gonna be our next VP of the Southeast, diamond level. You're the top 10 in the entire company out of thousands. I was like, yes. And then they said, next email. Trip canceled because of this thing called COVID. Uh, Next email, that $80,000 bonus you thought you were getting, that it was guaranteed, we're not paying you that. uh, And so I sat there. Yeah, I sat there and I realized ain't nothing guaranteed unless it's me paying me. That's right. And another time that happened was when when I went to travel around the world and I left that job and I landed in Greece. And I traveled for seven months all around the world, did everything I ever wanted last year. And then afterwards, you're like, shit, now what? What's the point? What's the mission? Yeah. Yeah. So I've got an idea about the remedy to this happening to people and to how to avoid the kind of depression on the other side of the mountain range when you're climbing back down the other side. I'm curious about your perspective first. Yeah. And I'm finding that to be a common theme because when I proposed this to my professor in Columbia, he said I needed to speak to this gentleman named Jay Dixon. So Jay, he was a high level college athlete and he suffered the same thing. He actually got really depressed. He didn't go to the NFL, but it was like, what's life after college athletics? He started Mm. researching and he sees that the high level college athletes and matter of fact, the top performing is women in volleyball. They're the top performing across the board when it comes to CEOs and high levels of management. And so he has a whole stable of people that he vets out, high-level operators, post-college athletes, operators. And so he has these operators. I'm building a portfolio of companies that need operators, high-level operators. So Dan O'Connell put us together and said, you need to speak to Jay Dixon. So we're working on something now to get these 
operators for the business. And that just makes sense from a private equity perspective, because I'm not going to operate the businesses. I can't. I'm only one person. Mm -hmm. So we buy the asset. We put a high level operator in there and uh, put development around them, mentorship. And it's a win for everybody. Literally, I'm trying to structure things so everybody wins. Mm -hmm. It gives them a a mission. It gives them a sense of fulfillment. And that's what it is. When I, this is what I challenge people when they say, oh, I want to do this because I want financial freedom. Okay. Bullshit. What does that mean to you? Yeah. What does that mm-hmm. mean to you? Does that mean yeah. you just don't want to work anymore? It's, winners well, win. That's, winners win. And if a winner stops winning, you're not a winner anymore. And then your identity is gone. That's it. So I really urge people to really dig deep and figure out what is it that drives you and why? Because now you go back, oh, it's my family, my kids. Okay. What about it? Why? What? What about it? And it's kind of funny because my why is actually giving back to the community. And I never would have put it at that. I would have always said my wife, my kids. You made it pa- you made it bigger than your wife and kids because I wasn't expecting that. Honestly, I really didn't. I didn't. And as a side effect, we're going to be all right. Financially, it's going to be, dude, I figured out my, I put this model together in about five or six years, everything goes somewhat right. We're looking at a $1.5 billion. It's like out of nowhere, but yeah, so that, I'll, that's later on in the story. But yeah, that, that's yeah, that's a one hell of a side effect. <laughs> yeah, and and we'll punctuate it. We'll punctuate it with this, and then we'll we'll move into the seller finance and everything. But it's just this is why I like doing the podcast. It's like the softer stuff like this because nobody talks about this type of stuff because they don't have the perspective to speak on it. So another cool thing that I noticed is like you you made it bigger than just like wife and kids. You made it so large where you're accomplishing this massive thing. Like for me, it was just like okay. Financial freedom, cool. Now, how do I help a million other people That's leave it. their corporate jobs? That's it, yeah. And I'm like, whoa, okay, now we're churning again. Now I've got that fire back in my belly because what happens is all these people come on the show and they're talking about, I'm doing it for my wife. I'm doing it for my family. I'm doing it for my kids. But then they spend the first 15 years of their kid's life building this business that they're doing for their family. And then now they're not spending time with their family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You have to truly understand the mission because if that's truly the mission, then you're missing it. right? <laughs> yeah. So before, okay. So now let's dive into the business. So before we get into the exits and the packaging and all of this, let's talk about the, the term negotiation process with your seller finance businesses. So when you're looking at these businesses, what is some boiler green flags that you're looking for? Like when you're analyzing the businesses in the beginning, you're like, okay, when I'm doing the underwriting, this is a green flag. This is a green flag. This is a green flag. This is what I'm looking for in a business. Here's my buy box to yeah, even so submit an LOI. I'm building a portfolio on service-based businesses right now because, I mean, I was very business agnostic. If it made dollars, it made sense, right? So sure. my off-market deal sourcing guy, he was finding a lot of good candidates. And from a financial perspective, they all look great. As I started doing the due diligence, I found that, especially in the trade business, it's very lucrative, right? That the profit margins are great and they're not being run very efficiently. Not from what I know from Fortune 100 companies, right? So, so what does great, let's pause real quick. What does a great profit margin look like? Let's quantify it. 40%. What's a good profit margin? What's a great yeah, like profit margin? 35, 40% profit margins. Okay. Because I've seen where you have gross revs of eight, nine million. But it only generates seven hundred fifty thousand. It clears seven hundred fifty thousand versus like six million, and it gener- it, it clears like two two point five million. Those are great profit margins. I look for the classic stuff. You want to see a moat around it, right? Like a good competitive advantage. Why? What would prevent a chuck with a truck to start up a business right next to you and take all your business? And you want to look for certain relationships or customer base, brand name recognition, things like that. Things that make it solid in that community. 
Yeah. And for me personally, the reason I love the trades also, it's recession. I don't care if gas is 30 bucks a gallon, right? If you have a busted pipe and your basement's underwater, you're going to call my company and we're going to do the job and insurance is going to pay us. And we're going to make 40% profit margin on that. No matter what. Mm-hmm. What makes you say no to a, a delay to the next summer, right? <laughs> yeah. What makes you say no to a business? Oh, if the financial statements are like written on paper and it's all out of whack and it, or if you, as you're doing your diligence and you want to say, Hey, where did that $200,000 is you have it under this item? Explain that. And they can't give you a good explanation because numbers are numbers, but it's really the people that you're assessing. If you get that weird vibe that they're trying to hide something or they're not being truthful, walk away. I've actually had people get angry. This is profitable. You're missing out on a big, God bless. I'm not going <laughs> to, I don't need to convince you. You don't need to convince me. I'm going to go find another business. That's a lot easier to do the diligence on. If you don't have your ducks in a row. That's a you problem. It's, that's not my problem. Yeah. So I, mean, I love, yeah. I, so I love businesses and I'm like, I'm now that I'm running a business and I can see and directly impact cash flow. I know why I love business, but I'm curious. I'd love for you to give a pitch really quickly because I've heard Cody speak dozens of times and oh yeah. Damn it, I'm gonna get her on this freaking podcast. Maybe you can give me a freaking in on her to come on this freaking podcast, man. But give a pitch for why you would choose cash flowing businesses in an MA situation over purchasing real estate. Oh man, I've been giving this pitch to a lot of my GoBundance friends because everybody in GoBundance <laughs> they're real estate, right? And the verbiage is different. They talk about cash on cash. I talk about break even. So I'm learning both languages now because I know nothing about real estate, but for the same amount of money. And I actually proved this to a buddy of mine, Keller Williams, a realtor, because he's all about investing, investing. I said, all right, what can you do with $700,000? And so he told me, he did the math, minus the debt service and everything. And he came up with something like $40,000, $50,000 a year passive. So for $700,000, I could bring in something that after debt service nets 270000 There you go. And it's a dry cleaner. It's a dry cleaning operation. It's not hard. It's not super sexy. It's boring. And it's and I'm not going to operate it. That's with me having an operator. So for the same amount of passive, forty to 50000 versus what I could bring in two seventy, I could scale up that much faster. Then now I get mm-hmm. two dry cleaners. So now, yeah, you go get more doors. All right, so now you're scaling up at forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 at a pop. I'm scaling up a quarter of a million at a pop. And then it only gets bigger as you get bigger. Talk about how it impacts your net worth and your balance sheet as well, because you can make a smaller tweak to your business and it will directly impact your balance sheet and your net worth. So talk about that because I joined, as soon I, when I started learning all of this, I yeah. was just mind blown. I enrolled in Columbia because I thought there was going to be some calculus equation on how company corporate valuations are done. It's done on the back of a freaking back napkin. Back of a napkin. Me and you both looked at each other. We, we said this. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. There's discounted <laughs> cash flows. There, There is enterprise value. There's a way to do it, right? Yeah. But most deals, and, I, and just speaking to all these people in general, they literally, they sit back and they say, okay, it's about this much in EBITDA or SDE. It has this management or they go off of um like the management structure, the SOPs, automaticity, technology. How buttoned up is it? How you know, packaged is it? And so that's where you get the multiple from. So right off the bat, I bought this at a 4X multiple. 4X times 2 million in EBITDA gets me to the 8 million purchase price. This is only three months later. I've already implemented ADP. I implemented technology called Matterport. I implemented an ERP called Accelerate. I just put a bunch of processes in place, automations, company directory, phones for everybody, iPads for the tech. So you're not walking out with paper. You show up to a customer's house. 
We changed the logo, got a better website, Google SEO, all that. That 4X, as we sit right now, could be 6, 7, or 8X. So even if I don't change the EBITDA, I've already made, I don't know, $8 million on this business. I could sell it right now for a higher multiple. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And that's in your equity position. Like it's, it is 100% insane. And I, I'm very confident yeah. with that statement. Like I'm not, it's not even bullshit. It's, no, I believe you. Yeah. I get it for an eight. So EBITDA of $2 million and like an 8X multiple because of all the things that I've implemented in three months. Eight times two, 16 million. I've doubled the value of this company. And the EBITDA is going to, the cash flow is already going up. We're having an insane year already and we're doing all the right things. And it's just, it's an amazing time right now. So I'm just yeah. going to rinse and repeat that model and doing a hundred million dollar private equity raise right now. And what's so cool about, what's so cool about it is 90% of small businesses go out of business within the first couple of years. So it's very difficult to begin a new business, start a new business from scratch. But what you're able to do is you're able to purchase these businesses that are already, they've already made it past the statistic. That's right. They've already made it. They're already battle tested. They're already weathered. They've weathered the storm and now they're operating despite themselves. That's right. Like taking it to the next level. And then you're just taking it to the next level. So you're able to build these really high level income producing skill sets, take a business, any business just about, and just apply your systems and processes to increase the EBITDA. If it's a 5X multiple, you increase the EBITDA 200,000. That's a million dollars on your balance sheet. That's exactly right. And that's such an easier way of going about net worth jumps. And that not only, not let alone paying down the debt service, even if you take into account just paying down the debt service of the business, it's such a higher debt service that you're taking these chunks down. Instead of paying down a $2,000 mortgage, you're paying down a $10,000 debt service. Yeah, dude, I'm with you. My monthly Um, payment to the previous owner is between $60,000 and $80,000 a month. And I'm like, oh my God. And the business pays it. Oh, the business pays it. It comes right The business revenue pays the the debt service. We're still netting over a million dollars. And it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So when you're going into one of these businesses and then we'll get into your financing and your lease and term strategy and all of that, and then how you're packaging everything for exit later down the road. But right now, when you're taking over a business, what is what are some of the biggest levers that you pull so they can give advice for people that are listening that are interested in all of this? What are some of the levers that you pull immediately when you're taking over a business where you can look at it and say, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and this is going to be like my three big levers that I'm using to increase EBITDA ASAP as soon as I walk in the door? Oh, one of the first things I do is I find talent from within. So I try to look for bigger businesses that have X amount of people so that there is a pool of management. And I give them more responsibility so I could work on the business and not in the business. So that's one of the very first things I started understanding their roles and responsibilities, making sure that their expectations are met. And then that goes into implementing EOS. That's another thing that we're doing, you know, Wickman Traction. I'm self-implementing right now, but eventually I'm going to get an outside third-party implementer to come in and just run it and then just do that with all the assets that I'm taking down. But that's one of the immediate ones, setting up an official Uh, org chart management structure so everybody understands what they're doing. So then from there, you know, that's where the questions arise. All right, you guys have been here 10 years. What, how would you see improving the business? What's the wish list? What do you think would be the most impactful? And then of course I hear 25 things. And then I take those 25 things and I'll speak to somebody else in the business that actually knows it way better than I. They'll say, oh yeah, these three things will have the best impact on that particular business. And then I just go to implement that's, Most that's, of the time, the, the employees know. It's yeah, just the I'm not going to come in and tell them. That, yeah, it's just, but that's what I've always done. No matter, even when I did know like cardiology, right? I'll get to a new team 
that team is in a different geography, different set of rules, hospitals, doctors. I, I get the information from them. Who is the best doctor to speak to? What's our best? It's SWOT analysis, strengths, weak opportunities, and strengths. So you just do that, and that'll tell. That'll give you your playbook for the next six months. I love that how you're doing it tactically is you're doing shoulder to shoulder leadership, not face to face. So you're like right next to somebody, and you're like, hey. Instead of me coming in and big dick in this company and saying, hey, I'm buying this. We're doing my way or the highway. Get on or get out. You're like, hey, you've been here 15 years. You tell me. I did give the disclaimer. I said, look, I'm not here to strip down employees or whatever. Everybody has six months for me to assess what's going on. And if you're not really a big value add to this company, sure, we're going to have a different discussion at six months. But right now, this is your time to shine. Let's see what's happening. So everybody's on board, man. It's actually pretty cool to see. And then six months, whatever whoever's faking it right now is going to get tired of faking it. And that's when mm-hmm. I think it's happening. Because right now we're all in honeymoon phase. So um, six months is going to be good enough for me to figure out who's who and what's what. Perfect. Do you have any other? So first off, what's your headcount that you're looking for these businesses? I think 10 to 15 is a good base, depending on the market. If it's he- heavily tech driven, you don't need that many people. But in the service-based businesses, more people, you could do more jobs. So mm-hmm. 10 to 15, the first business I have is 30. The other one I'm looking at that I'm going to take down here soon is 33. It's an electrical contracting company. And then I'm actually meeting tomorrow to buy an HVAC. But this one is in particular, he only has three people because he subcontracts a lot. He brings in 7 million in revs, but it's only bringing in, like I was mentioned earlier, like 750,000 because he subs everything out. He's my guys. And I'll no longer have subs. So that EBITDA is going to go up immediately. So in that situation, I would never have taken that down as my first business because it's just too small. But because I have the bigger business, I'm strategically placing it to add on. Yeah, And the coolest thing about all of this is I'm listening to you. And we talk about people that are investors that dabble in entrepreneurship. So a lot of guys that are real estate guys are like, oh, I'm a really good investor. Like I'm good at buying a property for below market value, fixing it up, building equity there. But it's like, I'm trying to get everyone to transition into an entrepreneur that happens to dabble in investing in real estate. Yeah. yeah. So it's just because how your brain works is what's going to end up happening with you is you're going to build this fund. And then now you've got all this vertical integration with HVAC, electrical, plumbing, construction, all these different trades. And then you can just partner with a real estate operator and then have a real estate company tacked into this to where then you can pour all of that money into real estate. You can cost segregation out your profits. You can take accelerated depreciation. And now you've got the entire vertically integrated operation. I'll take it even a step further. In the interim, I'm going to buy all the property that the businesses are on. Yeah. And then when I exit the businesses, I still have the residual them as a tenant paying passive. Triple net. Yeah. yeah. There we go. So that, that's definitely in my, my wheelhouse right now. I'm not a real estate person, but that is the next phase of what I'm going to try to do here. Yeah. Awesome. So walk us through the negotiation stage. So you've identified a business that you like. You're like, okay, this fits my buy box. Not too many red flags or the ones that I'm seeing at least are fixable and advantageous for me for upside potential for this EBITDA growth. Walk me through the train, the seller conversation to where you're like, hey, SBA is going to suck. Let's not go this route. Here's why this route, the seller finance route, is a better route. How do you yeah. use that conversation? Well, so first, I try to find out why are they, what's their motivation for selling? What are they trying to do? Are they trying to go off into the sunset? Do they have other ventures that they're trying to do? And then I cater my discussion to that, to be honest. What I find the most success is people late 40s, early 50s, 
they still have energy, but they don't want to run their business anymore. Maybe they have other ventures. And so I always pose the question, all right, if I give you $8 million right now, what are you going to do with it? 40% taxes and then what? Wouldn't you rather have a payment over time? And so at first they were like, no, payment over time will be good. Will a bank do that for me? Because everybody in their mind thinks that if you're buying a business, it has to go through a bank, some kind of financial institution. And so I'm like, no, we can actually do this ourselves. You could be my bank. Oh, what do you mean I could be your bank? I'm not a financial institution. You don't have to be a financial institution. You have something I want to buy. I want to buy it from you. We could get a lawyer. We could come up with terms and I'll show you how this works. So I have the dumbest Excel spreadsheet that you've ever seen in your life. And I showed it to the guys in Columbia and they laugh because they have these really complex. Fancy looking McKenzie spreadsheets. Yeah. They laugh, but then they also don't laugh because they're like, that's so simple, but yet so powerful because this is how I'm doing my deals. Right. This is how I modeled my private equity fund off of that same spreadsheet. And so I sit down with the owner and I show them, I'm like, look, so $8 million, if we do it at five years, and so I model that. And then they see, yeah, so you're paying me out in five years, but Renan, your annual income is going to suck because you're paying it all debt. And I'm like, yeah, I appreciate that you say that. So then I put it out to 20 years. And so now it's more advantageous to me, but now they're sitting back. I don't want to be on the hook for 20 years as your bank. I'm like, totally get that. So how does 10 years look? So we had that conversation, 10 years. And they're like, oh, 10 years is all right, blah, 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 blah. And then I, I draw their attention to this little box I have, the amortization table with all the interest that they're going to receive. I'm like, look, that 3.8 million down there, that's on top of the 8 million. So I'm really paying you 11.8 million for this asset. Wait, what? I'm like, yeah, normally the bank, like Chase Bank would get this money because it's interest. That's where the interest goes. That's why they give loans because they make interest. We're not using the bank. We're using you. So now my question to you is, one, I'm paying you 3.8 million to take a risk on me taking over your company. My question is, do you think I can run your company? Do you think I'm gonna run this to the ground or do you think I'm smart enough to run this? Usually this conversation happens after about a month and a half of doing due diligence and putting the time in to learn each other. I'm confident in my knowledge set and sales skills and everything. So usually they're like, no, I think you can run this perfectly. So do you, so you don't lead with the seller finance conversation? Nope. So you lead with, okay, we'll do this traditionally. So when, are you sourcing these deals through brokers? No, I have an off-market deal sourcing guy. Yeah. Off-market, okay. Yeah, he has Perfect. a whole call center and he just, and he's been doing this for years, very successfully. He calls the owners, he gets all the intel, gets how many employees, what they're selling for. So it's a very warm lead by the time he gets to me. Hey guys it's that good. are listening, yeah. for people that are listening, how many times are we going to talk about this? We're going to talk about the deal triangle. You either need the knowledge, the money, or the hustle, right? <laughs> so Renan's got the knowledge and he's got the money. Somebody else said, okay, Renan, let me be an integral part of your life. Now he's got the hustle guy. And I'm sure that you probably wouldn't, you'd probably fight tooth and nail for that guy. Make sure he stays on. <laughs> oh, that's I had a call with him earlier today, as a matter of fact, talking about a national presence. But that's also going back to the whole concept of buying back your time. Because I could have sat down and made hundreds of phone calls on my own behalf. I could do that. I have that. I don't want to. I have other things that I'm doing, right? Things that, that are more advantageous at that point. So I paid him, I was like three grand a month. And he brought in 55 off-market deals, like all eight, nine, 10 million to 20 million. There's one on my deal sheet that's a $100 million restoration company. That's going to be a whole other thing. But though those are the high quality businesses that he found for me. And number one on that sheet, I went and bought it, seller financing, 100% seller financing. So man. walk me through the walk me through the confidence shift and the mindset shift you had to go through to take down the $8 million. Was that your first one? It's the $8 million one? It was. 
Yeah. Okay. So walk me through that because you're looking at a drag cleaner or maybe a laundromat. That's what most people that are listening are going to be thinking about. They're going to say, oh yeah, I'll take down. Now granted, like they don't have Columbia MBA and all that stuff and decades and decades of experience, but maybe they're looking at a hundred, like a 400,000, 500,000, maybe 800,000 car wash laundromat situation. You know, what gave you the confidence to say, screw this, like we're shooting for it. It's just because it made all the sense in the world. I would sp- spend all night financially modeling, worst case scenario, best case scenario, pouring. So over it's all the numbers. It's all it's the numbers. All numbers. And then in the person to person due diligence, it, I just had, I mean, it was the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. When I signed the, that paper, I thought it would feel like Christmas morning. I felt like I was going to throw up, man, because I quit my W-2 and then signed the paperwork. And I'm wow. like, here we go. It's like, let's go. Um, in so one now, deal, really? Yeah. And how much were you making in your W two? You were doing well. I was doing like two fifty to three fifty. Yeah, dude, man, you got yeah, same. <laughs> you are doing the same thing. Yeah, so you sign the paperwork, you leave your W two. Yep. Oh my god, man. Yep. No, I did it. Actually, I did a reverse order. I quit my W two on a Wednesday and signed the paperwork three days later on a Saturday. Yeah, dude, you got yeah. balls of steel, man. It was the opportunity. We were all in DC. I live in New Jersey, so we were all in D.C. for a national sales meeting. And I'm like, if I'm going to do it, this is where it's going to happen. All the leadership is here. I was the regional manager for New York. And I felt it was the most appropriate time. So I did make that final phone call. I was like, hey, guys, we're doing this deal on Saturday, right? We're signing. Yes. All right. So I quit. Saturday, I signed. And that was right before Thanksgiving. And then I took the whole month of December to just decompress. And then January 1st, I got after it. So I think something that's important for people to realize and recognize and something that you probably did from a place of unconscious competence is you didn't just dive into, hey, Mr. Seller, I'm going to buy your business. We're going to do it. Seller finance. Here's my terms. Here's my options. We're going to do 100% SBA loans suck, blah, blah, blah. And you just vomit all over them because you're a decades long sales rep yeah. and I am too. So what you did was what we call discovery. You led with building rapport, saying, hey, let me meet you where you're at. You meet me where I'm at. Let me figure out what's important to you. What do you care about? What language are you speaking? How are your tonalities? Are you a high-energy cat? Are you more relaxed? Are you more introverted or are you extroverted? What, what matters in your world? And then you were able to tailor everything to where it was their idea by the time it came time. You're like, how about this? And they're like, oh, that's a cool yeah, I mean, idea. Of course. I mean, they were took, they were like, wait, it was very foreign to them. But then once I showed them how I modeled it out and what's in it for them, I said, look, just t- take a couple of days, think about it, look at it back and forth, and then we'll structure it so that everybody wins. And we did. I mean, they actually came back with, because it was 7% at 12 years. They actually came back and said, look, for the first year, we're going to do interest deferred to give you more networking capital. So you have better chance of success in your first year. So you can understand the business and the cash flows. And then we're going to get to normal payments on in 2024. So they gave me a good running head start. I'm still paying the, the $8 million. I negotiated $1.8 million of accounts receivables in there. So we have that as a nice little buffer zone for working capital. And it's been, it's been awesome. If you do it the right way, it should be awesome. And now we're in growth phase. Um, and it's exciting. And so I'm also promoting the fund with that company. It's going to give us, it's a nice little head start. And that was after a month of breaking bread and negotiating and doing due diligence. That's right. And I just really want to drive this point home because I want to prevent the mistake of somebody listening to this podcast and diving in really fast because the same thing happened with me 
my first big deal that put me on the map in corporate was Coca-Cola. Like, so I closed a national deal with Coca-Cola across the United States. And so I was in like the C-suite in my suit and tie, clean shaven with short hair. (laughs) And it had been, and you know how long those deals take, dude. It had been every bit of a year, 1.2 years of rapport of knowing every single person at the table to where when it came down to finally the time of negotiation, when that buy window was there, we were able to both know and look each other in the eye and know that we both are making a win-win situation that the negotiation went back and forth like 20 times until we said, okay, like I'll cave on this, let's do this. And then it's not a hard close. The close happens naturally because you did the work. So I love that. Let's close this out with how are you packaging all of these for, exit in the future, because that's an important caveat that most people don't get right. No. So it's my thing is, and I've been told that this is like a junior, a Warren Buffett model, right? Sure. Because he buys things based on strong cash flows, never really with the intent to exit at any definite time. So I buy things with the premise of strong cash flows all the way, but then I put the extra kicker where I am considering an exit five, six years, but that may be in the form of an IPO where we keep the assets, but now we're publicly traded, but we, I could get my initial investors paid accordingly. Um, but a very key moment happened in, in December. I joined GoBundance on a Wednesday. Once again, everything happens on a Wednesday for some reason for me. But I quit my job on a Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah. So I, John Edwin, I signed up with John Edwin on a Wednesday and he's like, Hey, what are you doing on Saturday? Friday and Saturday. I'm like, why? What's up? We're doing something in South Jersey. We're doing it with all the GoBros are meeting up and we're having a thing down at Renault Winery. Like, all right, cool. I'll come down and meet my GoBundance brothers, right? So oh, I don't Josh, I, yeah. And once again, I, like you said, when Diego asks you to do something, you pretty much, Diego, it just feels right. Just You just go with the flow. So I'm very mm-hmm. much like that. When the universe speaks, when people that I trust or mean something, say or suggest something, I just see what it's all about. And like you said, it's the nugget. It's the one little thing you can pull away. So I'm like, all right, you'll see what this GoBundance is about. I show up down at Renault Winery and everybody's real estate. And the yep. keynote speaker is this guy, Richard Wilson. Besides, Richard's- besides, the, guy that own, besides the guy that owns the winery. Oh, yeah, yeah Josh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I meet Josh. I meet Amit. I meet Richard C. Wilson, who's the keynote speaker. He's the CEO of Family Office Club. He's on like their podcast. So they do all that. And so I had a very interesting conversation with Richard and I showed him the fund, my thesis, and he's like, that's, that's pretty interesting, man. So that got me into the Family Office Club network. So this is at the end of December. Fast forward, now I'm in Tahoe with you guys, having the time meeting you, meeting Diego, hey, kind of reinforcing everything that I know that I'm thinking is true, but it's just reinforcing for my life. And then a week and a half ago, I go to my first investor summit with Richard and Family Office Club. So they have all these investors there, like billionaires, centimillionaires, all these. It's a big, it was a big room. Because now I form my front through the SEC, I'm ready to rock. And after the third day there, Richard asked, offered to be an advisor on my fund. And I'm like, holy shit. And all that, I backtrack it to just being in the room, asking the questions, just being present and taking action. And so here I am now, I'm going to meet up with Richard again in April, but we're off to the races now. We're going to build this portfolio. And what I am trying to do, like I said, I'm deploying $100 million dollars into getting, it's going to probably be four to 450 million assets under management. And then it's going to be a cash flow EBITDA of 100 million aggregate across all companies in the portfolio. Talking about a 15 to 20X, let's call it 17X. 100 million times that, do the math, right? Investors will probably get 50% of that. 
So that's 750 million buying out the investors. They also have 10% or preps along the way. And the entire thing is going to be cash flowing like 50 to 60 million per year anyway. And that's minus debt service. So that's cash flow. And even if I put 15% of that back in as CapEx, invested in OpEx, you're still talking about a $40 million cash flow across the fund. It's crazy numbers and it's dizzy to think about. We'll do another podcast five years from now. I'll tell you how close that is. So how long ago were you in your W-2? I quit last November. So what, like four or five months? You quit last November and you took down this deal last November. Yeah. This is what it's turned into. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, so, I, was with Cody, I was at Cody's Mastermind last November, and I have it written on a piece of paper of my five-year goals, and on it was to raise a $5 million fund just to buy a business. And then from there, it just, everybody I meet, they were just discussions and talking and just rising up, and it became a $100 million fund. I'm raising it right now, and it's a strong fund. I'm telling you, I showed it to a lot of investors, and they were like, holy shit. <laughs> and how many businesses did you, were you able to take down with the seller finance? So I have my, it's called my water mitigation, electric company, and an HVAC. So about okay, so you bring, so million since, manager, yeah. HVAC, I'm million? closing out tomorrow. Yeah. So, so since November, right now we're recording this in March. Yeah. So in four months, you took down $50 million of cash flow businesses with zero money out of your own pocket. Correct. Okay. And I'm front, that's, and that's another powerful, that's why the invest, that's why the fund is so powerful because I'm front loading those assets into it. So it's instant cash flow. As soon as somebody invests, that unlocks their pref return from day one. They're going to get money from day one. And then on exit, I have it modeled out on what that would look like for each individual asset. And it's pretty good returns. Like it's and, a four and, to 6x, four to 8x MOIC. And that's kind of, that's almost venture capital ish, right? You don't yeah, see you that in private equity too much, but yeah. Dude, and how old are you? 47. All right, so you're 47 years old. And <laughs> literally, man, there are people listening to this right now that are like 37, 39, and they're like, damn, man, like, I missed the boat. These young guns, are, these not. young guns are kicking my tail. And I'm like, man, can you imagine even you at 44, even having a, like a sliver of a clue what you're doing right now? I feel more energetic than I've ever felt in my life too doing this because I'm doing it for a real mission. I'm doing it for me. I'm not doing it for corporate. It just feels so good. So I'm working more. Don't get me wrong. I'm putting the hours in. Oh, sure. it's a different. It's a different. It feels different. I'm home right now. I was here for this. So this is I'm working right now, right? <laughs> yeah. These are the things I do now. <laughs> Dude, this was sensational, man. This was so freaking awesome. Seriously, thank you so much because oh, your story you is amazing. Me. What you're doing is amazing. I'm excited to be along for the ride. I want to yep. dive in even deeper on this. Now oh, I need to fly you out. That. I need to fly you out international again for my people. There like we go. just got to keep it going, man. Oh yeah. my God. And it's such a cool example of how compound interest works. So people think of compound interest when it comes to like index funds, but they don't remember how it applies when it comes to skill set. Yeah. Because you just kept doing the right thing, the right yeah. thing over decades. And maybe you didn't see it in the aggregate, like in the micro. But then when you zoomed out, all of a sudden it just took you that one mastermind, that one connection to set forth a domino effect that just made you just. I feel like it's doing this, but somebody actually reframed it for me. They said for the last 27 years, this is all the stuff that you've been doing that leads up to this opportunity. Correct. So yeah, there we go. Yeah. (laughs) Let's go brother. Where can people find you? 
Oh, my website, WSVGNJ.com. That's Syndicate Adventure Group, New Jersey.com. And that's it. I have all, I'm getting my social media under wraps right now. I'm getting it. I'm hired because I suck with that kind of stuff, but I know my weaknesses. So I'm trying to fill those gaps. But yeah, yeah. that'll be the best way. We got you. We got you early, man. We're going to be one yeah, of the early I'm podcasts. Very, very <laughs> Absolutely. Man, yeah. I'm investing in the stock when it's low. There send, it me, is. send me an M&A doc with your signature with an autograph on it later down. And I'll put it on a nice little frame up on the fridge, man. That's there freaking awesome, dude. Renan, man, I appreciate you coming on. Diego did not disappoint. I'll send him this episode. Be like, hey, man, thanks for the plug. Because, hey, guys. This is why I randomly paid thousands of dollars to be in GoBonus, thousands of dollars to fly out to Tahoe Absolutely. because I'm walking by an ice rink um, with my shoulder busted up and I'm not able to move. And then somebody comes and says, hey, check out Renan, man. And now this has <laughs> yielded this freaking podcast. That's where I met, I met him by the ice rink. That's <laughs> no, it's just I was in a bathrobe, too. I just got yeah. out of the hot tub. You're probably like, look at this clown. Nah, man. Oh my God. Thank you so much for coming on, man. We'll have all your links in the show description so people can go check you out. Appreciate it, brother. No, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And this has been Renan and Brian with the Action Academy podcast. Signing off. (laughs)